Success for me, I think, is like being really fulfilled in what I do. Fulfillment for me on different levels is like firstly just doing a good technical job at what I do, but like more importantly, feeling like I'm like making a difference to that patient. So I think like my goals for success is to just be as good as I can be at what I can do. And I've still got a long way to go with that. Constantly coming across so many different kinds of cases and you realize that there's so much to learn. I think a really fulfilling thing that you can do in dental is multiply your knowledge like there's only so much that we can do as ourselves but imagine the power that we could have in terms of providing our knowledge and tips that we've found or wisdom along the way to lots of other people and sharing that and think of all the difference that we could make to so many different communities and patients that I think is success because I think that's not just success for us but that's like shared success that we can have amongst the whole dental community as well. CBD Junkie Dental Podcast is about connecting with passionate Australian dentists who are improving themselves and have attended various CPD courses. My aim is to find out for you the best CPD courses around and what they did to help get them to where they are today. So you can consider doing it and becoming the best dentist you can be quicker. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're going to commit to a three-year relationship with someone, you definitely want to know, you know, how, it's a relationship. Um, you know, all the details about it. So, okay, you're in the program now, okay? It's one thing to hear about it because that's someone's own experience, okay? But how is your experience in the program? Yeah, I mean, you're still in the program, yeah. Yeah, sure am. Um, don't believe I'm out of it yet. Um, soon, soon. So, yeah, it's really interesting you say that because I think I, like, have heard a lot about the experience. But, like, does you, like, I think with anything in life, same as like when you're in dental school and you're like, I wonder what it's like going to be when I graduate. You never know until you work exactly. <laughs> in that place um, and that setting. Basically, it's been tough and it's been like really mentally challenging. Um, but I have never doubted for a moment that like this is what I wanted to do and I've never like contemplated like leaving the program or anything like that because I know that this is what I do and I really enjoy it. And it's funny when you start doing only that one area of dentistry like for example only seeing only seeing pediatric dentistry that I I never could imagine going back to general dental like peds is like my new baseline of um my normal anything underneath that it would just be too boring for me or just not pique my interest whatsoever um and things that I used to think were really interesting peds are now like oh cool nice that's great (laughs) Let's do more of that. <laughs> um, but I'm sure that's the same for anyone who goes into a program. Um, I think PEDS is maybe, I can't really speak for the other programs um, because I think PEDS can be a bit different with the on-call aspect, but I would say that the most challenging aspect has definitely been um, the on-call process. For people who want to know what that man- like really means in terms of time and commitment, um, you're essentially every peds program is linked to typically a children's hospital Mm -hmm. um, and that children's hospital will run a specialist pediatric um, after hours service um, every day of the year um, after what you're working hours. so that runs from like 5 30 p.m through to 7 30 a.m and what that means is that at least in sydney what that means is that any child who comes in to the children's hospital westmead or um, one example is any child that comes into the Children's Hospital Westmead with a dental concern so that we see a lot of trauma um, and facial swellings and pathology um, and just unusual things that come through. 
um, if it's considered an emergency, we will be called about that case um, to figure out a plan. And essentially what you're trying to figure out as a registrar is um, firstly, do I need to go in and assess this child? Do I need to assess and do emergency management now? Um, or do I organise for there to be outpatient follow-up, say the next day? Or do they can they actually see their local general dentist for this very minor um, uncomplicated crown fracture, for example? Um, but we also are essentially, um, we are the one specialist service in the state. So, for example, we could have someone from Dubbo Hospital call us through switchboard and ask for advice or from any part of New South Wales, and we've had that lots before um, where there have been cases from regional rural who've come through or it might be like a multi-trauma case, like a child has had a significant motor vehicle accident and has come off a quad bike and they're actually being transferred from that regional rural area to the children's hospital for multidisciplinary care, mm -hmm. um, including, um, yeah, orofacial, other bodily injuries, as well as dental injuries. Um, so um, in terms of, like, how much time it takes up in your year, um, at least in Sydney, it's like split amongst registrars. We typically have six. So all those 365 days of the year are split amongst those six registrars. And you end up... You take a lot of phone calls and you're also going into the kids' hospital um, a fair amount to do emergency management um, under RA and GA as well. Um, so that's that's probably one of the most challenging areas. I think that has been a surprise. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the other key challenge is essentially like your academic pressures. Like I think we can all go to a day of work and come back and um, you know, expect to have some time to wind down and prepare yourself for the next day. But unfortunately, in postgrad, you're you've got deadlines for seminars that you need to prepare, research that you need to do, articles that you need to read, and so you kind of already have longer hours. You come home, eat dinner late, and you realise that you still have all these other things to do. So it's just those added pressures um, as well. Um, but I think doing things like the primaries kind of at least prepped me a bit for that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. yeah prepped me from that lifestyle and make helped me start to figure out like remember what my learning style was again yeah I mean would you say that was the most interesting case that you've ever come across or was there another more interesting case that you came across and you know what did you learn from it um really hard to pick lots of interesting cases I think like I think we broadly see um lots we can often in Westmead we either see like really healthy kids who have some really interesting things happening in their mouth like we see a lot of we get referred a lot of anomalies for example and we also have the other side where we see children who are really medically compromised um and require dental care so like in that first category like um I'm currently working on a case where it's a completely fit and healthy 11-year-old who had her first dental visit in many years to um, Mount Julep Hospital, I think it was, and she had these two chronic abscesses. Um, and long story short, her diagnostic sort of problem list is that she's got two teeth that were necrotic from like Densi vaginitis, and they've got like open apices, um, and she's got multiple compound odontomas in like her lower right canine region. And so from a treatment perspective, it's really interesting for me because we've, um, with my consultant, we've been doing, um, we've been doing endodontic treatment on 
these premolars with the um, Denzi vaginatus, um, doing like an apical plug and backfilling. Um, we am preparing for a GA where we're going to be doing um, an apisectomy and um, apical curatage of one of those premolars still where there's been significant buccal bony erosion um, and getting Max Sux involved to help us with removal of compound odontomas. And then we'll be doing an expose and bond of an impacted canine. So I really enjoy um, where there's just things that slightly are unusual and you get to um, manage those. Um, but I've also had some really interesting cases come through on call. So I think like one of the most striking cases that will always stay with me is um, this six-year-old girl who had gone to her local ED because after school she had run into a pole and um, her top front teeth were loose. And she was six years old, so we figured it was probably her primary incisors, and that was confirmed with the photos that were sent to me. But the problem was that her bleeding hadn't stopped after... Mm or five hours of being in ED. Initially, we thought that it was probably just a really anxious child and parent who was probably like constantly touching the area, not compressing the area very well. Um, so we got the ED team to make sure that they properly um, managed hemostasis with some tranexamic acid, for example, as well, um, thinking that she'd probably be fine for discharge, but it continued. So we ordered some bloods and um, this was already really late at night now. I think I asked them to order bloods at about midnight and I got a call at about 2, um, 2 3 a.m. Um, in the morning with the results. And at the time, the ED doctor who spoke to me thought that it all looked fairly normal except for her haemoglobin maybe being a bit low and that would need to be followed up with a GP. Um, so we arranged for her to be still reviewed in our emergency clinic the next day, but she never arrived. And um, I was about to go and call the parent to ask them, you know, how everything was when I received a call from the children's hospital saying that she'd been, her care had been transferred to the children's hospital. And unfortunately, um, upon further investigation, she'd actually been diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. And the only way that they would have diagnosed that was if not for the dental trauma where unfortunately, you know, she had that bleeding, but it prompted them to figure out that there was actually something significantly underlying that. And she's been in hospital now since August last year as an inpatient with chemo and managing that. And that set off a series of events where she ended up needing to get start chemo as soon as possible over the weekend. And so we arranged for like a joint general anaesthetic where she was going to have like a central line place to start the chemo, get a bone marrow aspirin, and the dental team was also going to assess it dentally to see if she needed mm -hmm. any dental treatment dentally fit. So I think that's like a true example of like where we forget how important the mouse is. And like these are not things that would only turn up at a hospital. These are totally things that could turn up to a general dentist. I've had um, other similar cases where there's been like also extractions and there's been consistent bleeding um, for even up to a week and turns out that this child just has a delayed diagnosis of haemophilia A. So I think we forget like the mouth is definitely part of the body and um, what we do in the mouth and what happens to the mouth has has ramifications as well and that's um, an example of that. Or having children, we had one five-year-old child who came into ED early on in very early on in my first year who had this um, very unusual lesion distal to her 5.5. It was this 
um, large exophytic purple um, sort of fluctuant lesion based on what I could see from the photos that were sent to me. And she'd actually seen um, her general dentist previously, who I think had tried to, I think it must've been small at the time and they tried to um, release the fluid from that lesion. Unfortunately for her, um, it turned out that it was um, malignant. So it was, I think it was diagnosed as a sinonasal teratocarcinoma and she ended up getting a right maxillectomy um, in India. And I think just, it's really, really scary these things that happen, but um, it goes to show that, you know, these things do happen in children and um, they come through our emergency services and um, thankfully we're able to, you know, start to diagnose those cases and at least get them the care as soon as possible. But um, that was definitely, there's definitely been a lot of sobering moments, I think, working in PEDS. Um, I think very humbling though, there's so many opportunities that we can help. Um, and um, especially in an area like Westmead in Sydney where we have a lot of refugee families as well who come in through with really medically complex kids. Um, you realise that you're able to be that one part of their team that gets this child ready for cardiac surgery, for example, when these families have nothing on their backs practically. Um, so, yeah, it's, there's been some really interesting, not just cases, but I think like moments of like reflection in life where you realise like you have such an opportunity to help, which I think is really amazing. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It would really mean the world to me if you have found any part of this podcast useful to leave us a five-star review so we can reach more people and help them reach their goals of being a more successful dental professional quicker. Now back to the episode. Wow, that's that's an amazing um, few interesting cases. I don't, I don't know how to comment on that. I mean, obviously, like I cannot relate because I've never been down that path, but wow, that's, that's really a deep dive into it. Thank you for sharing those. Um, yeah, no, there's so many of them for sure. I'm going to switch up the mood a little bit. So, you know, can you share some um, more of the latest developments or innovations in your specialty that you might find particularly interesting or exciting or promising? Yeah, well, I think um, I think interestingly for peds, I mean, I think there's still a lot of things that are in the works, and there are still things that are yet to be published. And I think I'll probably comment on things that I probably I've seen become more commonplace in practice. And some of this might sound a bit boring, but I actually think it's really um, great that there's now more solid evidence for whole crowns, and I'm seeing that there's more uptake of whole crowns. And the reason why I think that's really exciting not necessarily as much in the specialist paediatric dental space, but I think in like primary care, I'm seeing more OHTs and dentists be aware of the technique. And I think it's a really, really great technique um, for those children who um, are, will have a bit more trouble being able to sit in the chair for local anaesthetic injection and like a typical restorative approach. So for people who don't know, a whole crown is essentially a technique where you can place a stainless steel crown over a, a primary molar without needing any local anaesthetic injection or preparation of the tooth. And um, there's now solid research um, over the last um, solid 10 years plus now that shows that its success rates are almost on par with um, a traditional stainless steel crown, which I think is fantastic. Um, mm. I think another really interesting area is that 
and this is where I guess it's um, more sort of the peds endo area. But I think another area that we see is we see a lot of deep carious lesions in sixes um, for various reasons. It could be hypomin is a big one, um, but also just caries. And um, there is emerging evidence to show um, the significant success rates with selective removal of caries. I know it's like really, really boring um, caries removal, but not only selective caries removals for deep caries lesions, but also the success rates of pulpotomies as well, um, instead of um, necessarily jumping to a complete um, extirpation in some sixes as well. So I think those are some really interesting areas where we're starting to see people do more pulpotomies, at least in the PED space. Um, I'm not too sure if maybe there are some general dentists doing that as well, which is like really great. Um, and also maybe more comfortability with use of um, calcium silicate cements as well, like biodentine and MTAs definitely being more commonly used, um, mm. which we've seen has some really, really great success rates as well. Wow. Oh, well, I'm definitely, I mean, I remember hearing about it and learning about it back in Adelaide. Um, but that was, you know, still kind of in uh, maybe in, in its infancy. And to your point, now that there's, you know, good solid 10 years um, research into the whole technique, that's that's great to hear. Yeah, I definitely recommend. Because, you know, stainless steels are easy to kind of um, keep and, you know, they don't expire. So it's a great stuff to have. Actually, yeah, it's a really good point. They definitely don't expire, that's for sure. And they're autoclavable as well. Um, I think there's definitely like yeah. a miss. I think, um, unfortunately, um, maybe you can comment on this better than I can, Lawrence, because you've worked in private general dental practice, but I get the impression from a lot of my friends who work in private that they just don't have access to stainless steel crowns, like that just doesn't exist um, in their practice. And um, yeah. I wonder if sometimes it's because practice owners feel that that's not financially viable, um, but given that it's a material that doesn't expire, that easy to place once you get used to them, especially if you're doing a whole crown and um, you can charge, you should charge Julie for that service. You're able to, if placed appropriately, you're definitely able to guarantee that that tooth should exfoliate asymptomatically and that child should not have repeat treatment. So you're actually saving that child, um, that family cost down the line. So I think it's definitely something that I hope that in future we can start to see be more available, but also be more, that practitioners do feel more comfortable using them as well. I mean, my comment on that would be, and I'm just, and I'm not, I'm speaking on behalf of, you know, everyone else no, here, but I mean, I can only imagine that one, it's because yet yeah, they don't feel comfortable about it. Thinking traditionally they have to prep it, um, crumple, and then, you know, then they can put on finding the right fit and getting that. Two, I think, you know, with the higher aesthetic demand of clientele now, you know, people prefer, you know, like I said, zirconia crowns as opposed to popping as stainless steel that might not be aesthetic, you know, when the kids are smiling, you know, parents don't want to see that in the kid's mouth. A whole number of different reasons, I think it could be a reason why it still hasn't been taken up so quickly when for your mm -hmm. point, like there's a good solid amount of research out there now, um, but that could all change um, down the track. I think it's it's totally true though. I think at the end of the day though, we're all parts of our education. Like if I if I heard that the Adelaide, like in Adelaide there was, um, it sounds like you had more peds exposure than I did. Um, like had, you worked with nitrous at least, that's really good. Um, yeah. But I think 
like if I was, yeah, definitely if I was a dental student, I wasn't naturally interested in peds. I would never have probably even tried to learn about stainless steel crowns. And it is intimidating. Um, I think most people have very minimal exposure to peds um, in undergrad and maybe, you know, across the broader spectrum of things. Like, I mean, we only have a finite amount of time in dental school. And there are going to be things that are focused on, like your general restorative, your prods, your endo, and things like that. Um, so it's challenging. Um, I'm not sure what the PEDS training is like now across different universities, but um, I think I think I do sometimes wonder, like, if it's disproportionate to the amount of children people do see in general dental practice, like in your classic family general dental practice. Like, I'm sure most people actually see more kids. Um, like quite a high proportion of kids compared to like what they were trained in. And I sometimes wonder if there's a bit of a mismatch there and they just like really thrown, you know, really thrown by the situation. Um, so I know, I think the solution to that is, is like on multiple levels, but I think there's definitely some really good CPD out there um, in terms of peds. Um, like in ADA, I think, I'm not sure about Victoria, but ADA New South Wales has a pediatric um, course that they run I think twice a year um, with Prashant and um, Dunpool and Juliet Scott who are great teachers and they have a really good one-day program. Um, everyone probably knows about the Tim Keys course which I definitely recommend as well. I learned a lot from him and Sarah. Um, they do a really really great course as well. Um, there's actually quite a few webinars as well on people who are ADA members. There's actually a lot of webinars um, in the PEED space um, on the ADA federal CPD board, which I found really useful, especially because a lot of my post-graduation time was COVID when we were all watching 10 webinars a day. Um, so I think there's definitely opportunities too, but I can understand that it's tricky for people. Um, but I also definitely recommend that people, I think always a form of CPDs, if you're unsure, you can reach out to your local pediatric dentist as well, or you can refer whatever you feel more comfortable doing. Um, but yeah. Mm. So I want to go into what does your current kind of clinical day or non-clinical day look like um, in terms of type of procedures you might be getting up to study-wise? Um, clinical day, um, currently I'm at the Children's Hospital. I'm finishing up a rotation. Um, children's Hospital is... Um, is essentially the kind of a working day there is the kind of day that you can't predict. So um, I might walk in there thinking that I have a half day, um, basically it varies, but typically will be, I'll be seeing some allocated patients, like it might be new consult patients um, or some treatment. And maybe the other half might be being on what we call float, which is essentially um, doing admin work, but also um, being available for anything that just might crop up out of the air and so working in a hospital like children's hospital means that we do have a lot of things that do crop up so for example um we will get calls from ed about emergencies that have come through that we might need to assess um that could be anything from um a classic case could be a severely a child with severe autism who's having this significant behavioral dysregulation and increasing aggression and they think that it could be a dental cause. And as a dental team, your job is to try to um, figure out if that's the case or exclude it. Um, it could be 
anything from um, saying that the plastics team is doing a cleft palate repair for a child with a for a two-year-old child and um, a lot of kids with cleft palate tend to have lots of other different um, comorbidities like for example they they can be at risk of um, they typically will need like grommets placed in their ears or they might be peg fed for example and so dental you might go join that GA where um, you're one of several teams working that child while they're asleep and you're um, in that afternoon I might go and um, assess that child while they're asleep, take some x-rays and do any treatment that might need to be done at the same time. Um, and sometimes these calls come without any notice, like the ENT team will just contact us and say, hey, we're about to anaesthetise a child, can you come look um, now? Um, but it all makes it pretty exciting and different throughout the day. Um, like just on Friday, for example, we had a set, um, saw some patients for the morning, we had our own theatre list in the afternoon, but we had a patient that we'd just been told about the day before who had, um, they had a suspected Crohn's, they thought they had suspected Crohn's um, and orofacial granulomatosis because this child had had really significant um, edema of his lips previously and they wanted the dental team to take a biopsy of his lips. Um, so we assessed that child as well and contemplated whether or not we would need to do a biopsy. So basically working in the kids' hospital is quite... Um, unusual. Non-clinical days, um, I don't get too many of them. Basically, I have a non-clinical day about one day a week, and typically we um, will have a seminar, what we call a didactic, which is essentially that one of the registrars has extensively researched um, a set topic, and um, they're presenting on that topic so that we can learn and discuss that topic um, with our consultants present who are guiding that discussion. Um, we also have allocated research time, um, which can be really challenging to try and do research in because often we end up using that time to do more admin or finally go to that doctor's appointment or whatever it might be. Um, but research is obviously another part of your program as well, um, where you're working towards. But it can be hard to remember that you do really need to do your research. No, that's fair enough. So a lot of our listeners, you know, are hungry, you know, young dentists who are aiming to achieve, you know, large goals. So I want to ask you, what does success look like for you in the future? It's a big question. Big life questions, Lawrence. Success. That's what I'm what here for. Success? Yeah, that's what you... People want the tough questions. People <laughs> want the tough questions. Ask. Yeah. Success is so personal. I think, um, I don't know, I think um, everyone... Success for me, I think, is like being really fulfilled in what I do. Um, mm. And fulfillment for me on different levels is like firstly just doing a good technical job at what I do, but like more importantly feeling like I'm like making a difference to that patient. Um, and um, so I think like my goals for success is to just be as good as I can be at what I can do. And I've still got a long way to go with that. Um, constantly working and constantly coming across so many different kinds of cases and um, you realise that there's so much to learn. Um, mm. But I guess it's part of that journey. Um, I think a big thing as well that I think is really great about a lot of the people that you invite on your podcast, Lawrence, as well, is a lot of the people you do invite are involved in teaching. And I think a big I think a really fulfilling thing that you can do in dental is 
multiply your knowledge. Like there's only so much that we can do as ourselves, but imagine the power that we could have in terms of providing our knowledge and, um, you know, tips that we've found or wisdom along the way to lots of other people and sharing that and think of all the difference that we could make to so many different communities and patients. So I think that I think is success because I think that's not just success for us, but that's like shared success that we can have amongst the whole dental community as well. Um, but I don't have any like very, very specific goals for myself personally, um, like in terms of like where I want to work, um, like maybe essentially like a, a blend of private and public just to get like variety once again, the buzzword mm -hmm. for peds. Um, and I think can be involved in some capacity of teaching basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, hey, I mean, it's, you know, there is a growing portion of, you know, female dentists that are coming out, right? And the toughest part is finding that um, balance between trying to achieve ambition and maybe, you know, some of your other life goals, which is, you know, starting family and all of that, you know, what are your thoughts on tackling that specialist path and, you know, when they're thinking about that to all kind of come together? It's really tricky, isn't it? Yeah. Like sometimes I wonder why can't men get pregnant? Like why? <laughs> why carry the baby? They should just carry the baby and you know, deliver the baby, and then yeah, like like seahorses carry babies. Like male seahorses carry babies. Like why did female humans have to carry babies? And like like very frankly, because I've I've now now that I'm especially in the paid space as well and. I work with a lot of working moms as well. Um, just even that like post that age zero to one age group as well, like it is challenging for working moms. Like breastfeeding is really challenging for working moms. Um, although I suspect that things are becoming a lot easier now and a lot more flexible. Um, so I guess it's different for me because I, I'm definitely not thinking about starting a family anytime soon. I think one thing that I can say though is that there's a really great, I, I feel like a lot of women in dentistry have managed to figure out that balance and that there seems to be a lot of women who are very willing to provide support to each other. Um, sorry for you men, but there is a women dentist forum that you're not invited to and it's a great place to be. Um, it's the female DPR. Um, but I think there's a, there's a great network of women. I think at the end of the day, like with any challenge in life, um, like, you know, there's definitely lots of men who are very involved in starting a family and in terms of being there and supporting their, their female partner. Um, and I think at the end of the day, like it's, I can't speak for motherhood or being a parent, but I can tell it's challenging. Um, and it's a journey that only people who've been through can understand. And I think at the end of the day, reach out to people. In terms of timing, I guess it's a very personal question. Um, I guess, like, I'm, I would say that I'm glad, I guess, that I was able to, um, lucky enough to get into the program um, earlier on. So I feel like I don't need to consider that as much. But I have also am surrounded by amazing registrars who are doing both um, or mm. who are in the program and have a family, um, not just in PEDS but across lots of programs. And a lot of 
um, registrars who um, I think a lot of people assume that like you just have to do it before you're 30 or something like that. But there are so many registrars who are um, much older than I am and are killing it. Um, and they have lots and lots of experience. And I think at the end of the day, like you would never force yourself to try to get into the program when you're just not, not mentally ready. And clearly those people who have come into the program, um, not just a couple of years out from graduation, they've, um, they're really secure and in the fact that they want to do the program now, whereas they may not have felt ready to do it previously. And they've brought a lot of experience um, as well. So, I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on, you know, now that you're in the program and what do you think about general dentists? I think, um, I think we've touched, talked about this before, Lawrence, that um, I think general dentists really underestimate how important they are um, for patients who are referred to a specialist paediatric dental practice. I mean, there are lots of different types of patients who get referred. So you get your classic child with ECC who's going to get referred back to you for just ongoing preventive care. Um, we have a lot of patients who are referred because they're special needs um, and they might be better suited to the type of space that a paediatric dental practice can provide and the kind of team that they have there. Um, or it could be trauma. There could be any child that you that had an injury and walked in, but they were all eventually going to find their way back to a general dentist. Like, I think the one that really strikes to the heart of like what I see a lot day to day right now is especially that second example where you have a special needs child um, who may be challenging and we as a pediatric dental team can provide that experience for that child where we can familiarize them with the dental environment, also do their dental treatment. But really the goal is, our goal and what makes us really happy is seeing a child graduate from a dental, pediatric dental team or practice, ready and comfortable to see their local dentist who's going to be really their dentist for life at the end of the day and so we are actually only a very small part of their journey and so I think general dentists really underestimate the power that they have to help these patients. I think I also appreciate this in the context of knowing that in the public service unfortunately there is a very limited capacity to help these patients in the public service currently. There are very few special needs dentists and yes to some degree you know if you don't feel comfortable seeing the patient and you can't understand the complexity of the medical back and that's a different story. But um, I think general dentists can provide, have the ability to provide, provide a dental home. And what I tell a lot of the families of special needs kids is that our goal is to eventually get them back to their general dentist to have ongoing preventive care and um, someone who will be able to help them be able to perform dental treatment if they need or just have a, a touchstone. So I think I think general dentists should um, not feel like that they have to completely wash their hands of these patients. They're very much patients who are going to be part of our community. Um, and also, you know, at the end of the day, we are a team as well. So, you know, if you don't feel like you fully understand how to manage these patients or you want a bit more information, at the end of the day, that's what your paediatric dental team is there for. So um, contact them, see how we can work it out. Um, I think especially a lot of these patients, especially if you work in regional rural as well, a lot of these kids might currently be traveling all the way to a city center just for that one appointment, you know, a year or um, half a year. But I think it's our goal is to be able to find that local home as well. And it makes such a difference when we have a general dentist who we um, who is happy to see that patient and you may not have to treat them, but 
just to provide that, um, that, that basis for diagnostics, um, to reinforce oral hygiene messages, to try to continue familiarizing these patients. Um, so, okay, there's a lot more questions I want to ask you, but this is all the time we've got for you, Dr. Amanda. So do you have any wise words of wisdom for the, you know, the budding young dentist, you know, the young Dr. Amanda Lynn back in the day? I think that in terms of, um, being a good dentist, I really think like, it's really cliche, but truly one of the most important things to figure out is communication. I know it seems really cliche, but um, figuring out simple things as a young graduate dentist, how to explain, how to explain a diagnosis to a patient, um, how to explain your treatment options, being able to read their body language and understand like their anxieties and figure out how to attune, how to explain something to someone. I think at the end of the day, like your golden ticket to being able to um, feel your most confident in dentistry is when you really can communicate to your patient. But I think communication isn't just about with your patient. I think at the end of the day, um, what I think really makes or break your, breaks your experience in dentistry is teamwork um, as well. Like I think we really, um, I often underestimate like how much my DAs do for me until I'm the one holding the suction and I realise I'm terrible at being a DA. And I think like little things like really communicating with your DA, um, like a skill that I'm still working on is, for example, like huddling with my DA at the start of the day to figure out what we're going to do for the day and what the procedures are going to be to come. Um, learning those skill sets are going to really help set you up um, and that will be different across different fields of dentistry like in Pete's for example it's really important that I communicate appropriately to like my colleagues um, that I'm referring to or writing back to a pediatrician um, but figuring out how to speak other people's languages is really the key um, I think as well um, a big thing that I remember I had to teach myself is like it's okay to um, make mistakes there are because I think at the end of the day um, when you first graduate and we will continue to do this throughout our career like there will be days where things are going to go so horrifically wrong um, or you feel that they've gone really horrifically wrong and um, I think that's when we all have our lowest moments in our dental career where you you kind of go into yourself and you think wow I'm a terrible dentist and um, you know, I really shouldn't have done that. I know I could have done that better. And I think things tend to sort of spiral as well, I think sometimes, whether it's mentally or technically in a dental procedure as well. And I think um, like learn to just accept it as a, a lesson, I think is a really hard um, mental block to come across, especially when you're a younger dentist, like just processing what's happened in the day, but don't kick yourself too much. Like really just try your best to speak to someone about it and think about what you learned from it and appreciate that it's a learning lesson and that you're going to be better for it because of that scenario. Um, because I think, yeah, mental health of any dentist is can be really challenging at times, um, especially when you're a new graduate. Um, I think that second part, though, really depends on having support. And I know it's like such a support, mental, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, like you need to find someone to speak to, whether it's, you know, a uni friend or 
um, you know, someone that you do find for a mentoring program or a boss that you like. And maybe there aren't people at work that you feel that you can't speak to, but make sure that you don't keep it to yourself. Because I think speaking through what's been challenging is important. Um, yeah, I think those would be the main things, you know, communicate and like we're all learning, um, you know, specialists make mistakes too. Um, everyone's human, things happen. Um, but it's just figuring out like how to recover from that, I think is a really, really important skill. Mm, yeah, I love it. I mean, this, if there wasn't any other messages in there, I mean, there's a lot of things that you mentioned today, which I, I remember you mentioning, which is, you know, make the most of every opportunity. And if it doesn't exist, don't be afraid to try and create it. And then all these other things there. So, you know, we were asking some of our guests, um, our community, sorry, our community, you know, questions that they wanted to have for you. And one of the questions that came up was through um, Ann Turnip um, and Emma Turner, who was also a previous guest on our show. And she wanted to ask, you know, how can we be as amazing as Amanda? Oh, stop it, Emma. Coming from Emma, that's like the biggest, that's like the greatest irony. Come on. No, I think like, I think um, there's, I'm, just a regular person for sure. I sometimes just come across really enthusiastic. Anyone who's known me from uni knows that <laughs> I hustle people to events and I just really enjoy creating events for people. And yeah, I think there's so many, um, I think at the end of the day, like, yeah, I agree with what you said. Like, I think um, sometimes we won't have certain opportunities as well in our career that are readily available for us. But I think a big thing that I'm grateful for is that I had people who, um, men, you know, mentally supported me to just try to create those opportunities and don't be afraid to try and do that for yourself. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a big, big life lesson along the way. Um, those weren't but- my words. Those were your words. I've just reiterated <laughs> back to you. That was the young Amanda. Those are your words of wisdom. Yeah, no, it's been it's been a good ride, um, but it's not been um, it's not been perfect at all. Like as I said, you know, I didn't really know if I even wanted to do dentistry. Um, you know, there were times where I did badly in uni. You know, I really didn't study well for some exams because I was really distracted by like you say things. People being- say what's <laughs> bad though. What's what's bad in terms of Amanda's eyes? Because you know, I, I've I also had bad by one too. of my is asking me like are you okay Amanda like you did not do well in that exam yeah no I didn't I didn't do well in a couple of exams um but like we all go through like we've all been rejected from things as well like I remember um funnily enough with Emma like I had applied for that Monash Hospital dental registrar job that I'm sure you've heard of from some of your guests or we'll hear from some of your guests and things that she's worked on yeah, I had applied for that job because I remember one of the goals that I wanted to have working towards peace was like, wow, I have no theatre experience. I have no idea what it's like truly like to work in that kind of setting. And I really wanted this job. And I got an interview and I was like really hopeful and I didn't get it. And I was so devastated by it. Like I think, yeah, I was really, really upset by that. But looking back, I think like everything works out if you just really persist and like you believe in yourself and a big part of that has just been like also my my support people as well like um you know Rick um my partner who always backs me no matter what and like so many friends who also really support me I really believe in the concept of like 
you are the sum or the average of like the best five people around you just like as a broad concept so I just try to surround myself with like people I really respect and admire and love and yeah that's a that's a secret to life I would think (laughs) (laughs) so Dr Amanda thank you for coming on the show today if you can let the people know how they can find you well, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I've got a LinkedIn profile. You can message me through there. If you and, like um, this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or well. leave so, a review. More than happy to answer Don't forget to share it with your friends. I've definitely been and we'll on see the you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast. Really helped in any small, little, small or big way. So, yeah, definitely fire ahead if you have anything to ask at all.